You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. this. I started a soup kitchen in my city, and I worked for a shelter for the homeless. Fantastic, Peter said. Two more points. Two points? At this rate, the only way I can get into heaven is by the grace of God. Welcome, my servant. Come in. It's only by God's grace. It's only by God's grace. When you add something else to salvation, you're taken away from the cross of Jesus Christ. As Pastor Dave will illustrate in today's message, your works can never be enough to earn your position in God's kingdom. The debt of sin that each of us are born into is far too great to repay through deeds. Only when you place your faith in Jesus and trust that He is enough to save you can you enter into His kingdom. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 15 as he begins his message, The Agreement. going to be in Acts 15, 22 to 29, as we look at the agreement, the letter written by the Jerusalem Council to the Gentile churches on a very, very touchy subject that had come up. And um, it's kind of interesting, and we're going to look at this to see what the Lord has to say with us today. So open in your word to Acts, verses 22 through 29. Okay, if you will read silently, I will read aloud. Then it pleased the apostles and the elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Bersabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. They wrote this letter by them, the apostles, the elders, and the brethren, to the brethren who are the Gentiles of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Sicilia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying, you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment, it seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. In 1747, there arose differences and disunity among the Moravian brethren. This was a group of local churches whose influence and missionary efforts were widespread. Count Zendendorf, who was the representative elder, he agreed to hold a conference with the differing views on each side coming, and they might discuss it and try to reach an amicable decision. The leaders came. They came from near, they came from far to the conference place, and they arrived on the appointed day, and each was prepared 
to contest the view that he supported. Each was prepared to give an account on what he thought was right. And they all hoped that they would receive a majority from the vote. They arrived about the middle of the week. But in his wisdom, Count Zenvendorf proposed that they should spend some time over the Word of God and in prayer. And he suggested that they read a passage in the Bible. The book he chose was First Epistle of John, 1 John. And they spent the remaining days until the end of the week becoming familiar with the teachings of the letter. And they learned that one of the main lessons was to love all their brethren. They agreed that on the first day of the week, like the disciples in the early church, they would come together and break bread. And so doing, they were reminded that they were one body. The reading and study of God's Word and the fellowship of the Lord's Supper had made a huge effect on them all, and the result was, when Monday morning came around, they commenced to look at the matters that were before them. There were no differences. There were no longer any arguments. There were no longer any disputes. Each of them bowed to the Word of God, and thus they were keeping the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. You know, these men came to this conference with different opinions. They came to have their views heard and to sway the conference to vote according to their beliefs. But through the study of God's Word and time in prayer, their hearts were opened by the Holy Spirit into one. They became of one accord. They became like-minded. There was unity among the brethren. And as their differences were placed aside, their love of Christ became more and more prevalent. They placed their difference aside for that love that Jesus Christ gave us. See, they were able to see the big picture. They were able to deny their own wants and their own demands for the sake of unity, for the sake of the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, when we look at the definition of unity, we see that it is a state or quality of being one. It means singleness. It's a state or quality of being in accord, harmony, These men were in agreement with one another because they each yielded to the influence of the Holy Spirit. And because of their submission to the Holy Spirit's lead and guidance, they were able to be submissive one to another. Their submissiveness caused unity. The unity was in their hearts, and this led to the agreement that was reached. When you look up the definition of agreement, we see that it means to be in concordance with one another. It means to be in harmony conformity. You see, an agreement is a union of opinions or sentiments towards a common goal. In the case of the Moravian brothers, we don't know what the dispute was because we weren't told. But through the ministry of the Word of God and through prayer and the Holy Spirit, they came to one accord. They came into unity for the furtherance of the gospel. They came because that's what their goal was, to tell people about Jesus Christ. Interesting, as we study the Jerusalem Council, when we get ready to look at this letter, we know what their dispute was. We know exactly what they were arguing about. They were arguing about the law of Moses versus the grace of God. That was what the argument was. But because of the council's leading and guidance by the Holy Spirit, the council came to one accord. They came with a common goal. That goal was exactly the one that the Moravian church came to. The furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Both groups ended with the same result, unity. If we review what had transpired in Acts 15, what we've been studying the last several weeks, 
This council was convened because certain men, these Judaizers, had gone to the Gentiles and they said to them, you must be circumcised to be saved. This was directly against what Paul and Barnabas were not only experiencing, but teaching. And consequently, this great big major dispute arose in the church of Antioch, and it threatened the early church itself. In fact, had this dispute continued, and had it not agreement been reached, we would have ended up with two churches, basically. The Christian church would have been one of grace and one of law. The one of law would say you had to be a Jew to become a Christian. And the one of grace would say it's only by grace that you've been saved. There would have been two churches instead of one. Paul and Barnabas, with other men of the church, were sent to Jerusalem to ask the apostles and the elders about this. And while in Jerusalem, they were hammered with something else. Some of the Pharisees that believed stood up and said, not only do these people have to be circumcised, but they have to obey the law of Moses also, putting them under a burden, putting a yoke upon their neck that no one could carry. But after hearing several witnesses, Peter, Paul, and Barnabas, James, the early leader of the church, he stands up, and he, what does he do? He quotes Scripture. He goes to the very Word of God. He goes to the Old Testament and quotes a prophet named Amos. And he says that what's happening in the Gentile church, what Paul, Barnabas, and Peter were speaking about is what Amos was referring to and in agreement with. This was God's plan. And therefore, because it was God's plan, the Gentiles should be left alone. They should be left alone completely. Salvation was happening with the Gentiles. The grace of God was being poured out. He said, let's not trouble them. You know, so many times when people come to the Lord, immediately we want to run to them and bombard them with all these rules and regulations and stipulations that they have to keep. We think we place them under the law. Oh, it's good that you accept Jesus, but now you have to do this, 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 and this and have salvation when it's totally false. We know that Paul wrote to the Ephesian church, we studied it many times in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, that we are saved only by grace through faith. Reminds me of a story. This guy dies and he goes to heaven and he meets St. Pete. St. Pete's at the gate. He's always at the gate, right? Peter says to the man, you need a thousand points to make it into heaven. Tell me all the good things you've done and I'll give you a certain number of points for each one. And when you get to 1,000 points, you're in. Guy says, okay. I was married to the same woman for 50 years, and I loved her and was faithful. Peter says, that's wonderful. That's worth two points. Two points? Wait a minute. Okay, I attended church all my life and gave 10% faithfully. Peter says, wonderful. One point. One point? My goodness. Well, what about this? I started a soup kitchen in my city, and I worked for a shelter for the homeless. Fantastic, Peter said. Two more points. Two points. At this rate, the only way I can get into heaven is by the grace of God. Welcome, my servant. Come in. It's only by God's grace. It's only by God's grace. When you add something else to salvation, you're taken away from the cross of Jesus Christ. We can't look at Christianity backwards. What believers do is a result of faith, not a prerequisite for faith. Don't look at Christianity in a backwards way. Don't let your spiritual pride be your motivation. Just accept the fact 
that all your efforts will not bring you any step closer to salvation. Who are the Judaizers of today? Well, there are those that say we must add something to a simple faith. It's only by grace can we enter. Can a person add something to Jesus' work on the cross? It's resounding no. Should we add anything to Christ's offer of salvation by grace through faith? Resounding no. It is only by grace. At the conclusion of James's speech, he suggests that the council write a letter to the Gentiles explaining this grace, and then he suggests that they needed to add a few requirements. Now remember, these requirements are not for salvation. These requirements are not for salvation. What did he add? He said they should abstain from things polluted by idols, sexual morality, from things strangled, and from blood. James basically divides the controversy into two parts. We talked at length about this last week. He said that, number one, in order to live a life filled with grace, we who are under grace cannot put non-biblical demands on those who are not. We cannot put non-biblical demands on them. And secondly, he said, because we're under grace, we should gladly restrict our freedom for the sake of others. We don't want to stumble anybody's because of our liberty in Christ. We need to restrict our freedom, and it should be done willingly. As we studied the letters today written by the council in our verses today, what I gleaned from that is a wonderful model for unity in the church. I gleaned a wonderful model, and there's three things that I would like to address about this this morning. There are three things that I came up with when I looked at this letter. The first thing was this agreement was unified. This agreement was unanimous. And thirdly, the agreement was under the influence of the Holy Spirit. These are the three things that I see in these scriptures today. So as we look to verse 22 and 23, we see that the agreement reached by the Jerusalem council was unified. It was a unified agreement. Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was named Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. They wrote this letter by them. The apostles, the elders, the brethren, to the brethren who are the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Sicilia, greetings. Note what it says there. It pleased not only the elders and the apostles, but it pleased the entire church. The entire church was for this decision. The entire church wanted to make this letter happen. They were unified. They all agreed. Look who wrote the letter. It could have just been written by the apostles. It could have been written just by the elders because they were the ones who, quote-unquote, carried the weight. But no, it says, from the apostles, from the elders, and all the brethren. They all agreed upon what was written. What does this mean? Look at it this way. Remember those certain men, those Judaizers that went and claimed that they had to be circumcised? They were here. They agreed with the letter. They agreed with what the letter said. Remember those Pharisees who said they must obey with the law of Moses? They agreed with this letter. What an example of submission one to another. What an example, what a great example of focusing on the major issue, which was salvation. So many times, so many times we as a church start focusing on the minor issue when the major issue is Jesus Christ. The major issue is the furtherance of the gospel for the sake of the gospel. The furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to what my 
Dearest commentary friend, Warren Wiersbe said about this. I mean, what would a sermon be without Warren Wiersbe, right? It is beautiful to see that this letter expressed the loving unity of people who had once been debating with each other and defending their views. The legalistic Jews willingly gave up insisting that the Gentiles had to be circumcised to be saved. And the Gentiles accepted the change in their eating habits. It was a loving compromise that did not in any way affect the truth of the gospel. Unquote. What was accomplished by this agreement was a strengthening in the unity of the church. If the church continued on the way they were going, like I said before, it would split. There would be a church of law and a church of grace. I would like to point out something here, something that's very, very important about this agreement. This dietary issue that James brought up, this in no way is a doctrinal compromise. This is not a doctrinal compromise because in Jude 3, we can never compromise doctrinally. Doctrine is doctrine, and we have to hold to it. There are things we can compromise on, and there are things we cannot compromise on. This is not a compromise on doctrine. Look what Jude said in Jude 3. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Jude preached against his dangerous practices and doctrines that put the gospel of Jesus Christ in peril. See, the ancient Greek word here used for contend is an athletic word. It means something like a wrestling mat. It means to be strengthened in the form. It means to agonize. I mean, you ever, has anybody ever wrestled? You never wrestled. You don't know agony until you're wrestling. And you don't know agony until you're getting beat wrestling by someone bigger than you. And that's pure agony. When you're trying to, trying to struggle out from a hole or something like that, I'm not talking about Hulk Hogan. I'm talking about, you know, collegiate wrestling or high school wrestling. You know, when they have you down in a certain hole and you're trying to get free, man, there's agony there and it hurts. That's what it means here. Therefore, control means to speak very, very hard and to be diligent in your work. This is what David Guzik said about this contention of the faith. He said, we contend for the faith in a positive sense when we give unflinching witnesses, when we distribute tracts, or when we make possible the training of faithful ambassadors for Jesus, or when we strengthen the hands of faithful pastors who honor the Word of God in the pulpits. He says, we contend for the faith in a negative way when we uphold, or excuse me, withhold support and encouragement from those who compromise the faith when we speak out against the preaching of another gospel or speak out against the manner of living that contradicts the message of the gospel. And we contend for the faith in a practical sense when we live uncompromising Christian lives and give credit to the Lord who changed us. It's interesting here. I hate when you drop your Cheerios. It's interesting here that Jude says that we need to contend for the faith because certain men have crept in unnoticed. Men have crept into their church unnoticed. They've come in. Nobody knew they were there. That's what makes them so dangerous. They're unnoticed. No one noticed that they were dangerous. When they came in, they didn't wear signs that said, we're false teachers, look at us. They were unnoticed. They crept in. They became unnoticed in the calm. They probably claimed that they had more biblical knowledge than anybody else in the church. 
They might have been unnoticed by men, but they weren't unnoticed by God. The Lord is not up there wringing his hands in heaven going, oh, I wonder what's going to happen with those deceivers. I wonder what's going to happen when they get there. No. The Lord was in total control. They may have been hidden from the believers, but they weren't hidden from God because their condemnation, James said, was already marked out long ago. Their judgment was assured. Truth will always win out. Truth will always win out. Remember that. The Word of God will always be successful. It will always win out because it is the truth. It is the truth. And when we stray from the Word of God, we stray from the truth of God. If you live not according to the Word of God, you're not living according to the truth. For this is the only truth that there is. The world will tell you that there are no absolutes. The world will tell you that everything's okay and you can do whatever you want. Well, don't kill the messenger, but that's not what God says. Don't kill the messenger. And his word will not come back void. His word is true. These dietary laws that James spoke about had nothing to do with doctrine. This was a learning to give and take principle. It was a practical arrangement so that people could live their life in harmony. People could live their life in unity. So it was a unified agreement. It was also a unanimous agreement. Look at verses 24 and 25, please. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling words, saying, you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment, it seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the pronouns that are used here. We have heard men who were sent out from us We are sending. This unity goes far beyond anything that we can trump up in the flesh. This is a spirit-filled unity. These were unanimous. This was unanimous because it says they were of one accord. One accord. I love the Greek word for one accord. It's homothumadon. Say that six times. Homothumadon. And it means one mind, entire harmony of feelings and views. One mind. That's what these men were. They have one accord. One-minded. You know, this word one accord is used 11 times in the, in the book of Acts. We've already studied it a couple times. And every time it is used, it talks about the relationship between believers and each other. One accord. It's kind of like the glue that holds us all together. This glue of one accordness. The unity of the believers. There's no schisms. There's no divided interest. There's no discord among the brethren. There was no discord among this council. God had done a mighty work in their heart. James Fawcett Brown says, describes the unity that these men were experiencing. It was a bond stronger than death. Wow. A bond stronger than death. Why were they in one accord? It was because of their obedience to God. It was because of their obedience to the Lord. This togetherness led to unity. This together led to strength. King David wrote about this in Psalm 131, verse 1. Behold, how good and pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell in unity. It's very good for brothers and sisters in the faith to be united. To be united in a common goal. And that common goal is the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are assured. You've been listening to A Sure Hope Radio with Pastor Dave. Pastor Dave comes to us from Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. 
In today's message, Pastor Dave is in the book of Acts. In this book, you'll hear about many people who had been eyewitnesses of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. They were now going to tell others about Jesus, and many were coming to a saving faith. If these disciples were just following some flash-in-the-pan rabbi, they wouldn't have been so eager to risk their lives for the sake of telling about this good news. No, it's because they saw it lived out, and they saw the greatest miracle of all happen, Jesus dying and then rising again. What an incredible time to live. So when you're facing opposition and persecution for following Jesus, remember that these disciples did too, and they were willing to face the ramifications for such faith. If you're wrestling with what this means to have a saving faith, we'd love to seek God in prayer with and for you. You can email us your requests at info at capewatchradio.com. If you'd rather call, we can chat with you on the phone too. Our number is 609-884-5821. That phone number once more is 609-884-5821. Anything else you'd like to know about can be found on our website, assurehoperadio.com. We've come to the end of our time together for today, but we'll be back next time as Pastor Dave shares some more great things from the Bible here on Assure Hope. Rescued us, we're ready now to stand up on our feet. Born again, we now go out. We set our hope on praise. Sure.